Welcome to the third podcast of WittgensteinOnLearning.com. Today's topic is going to be commanding a clear view, which is a concept that's presented in the philosophical investigations. For those who have been following the blog entries, it might actually be a little bit unusual that this is the topic for today's podcast, because the writings of over, over the last couple of weeks have predominantly focused upon literacy and language development, coming to see as a literate uh, individual and the stages of such development. However, described in that way, pursuing the topic of a clear view or commanding a clear view shouldn't be too unusual, because that's what I've been engaged in and pursuing is trying to synthesize and gain a clear view of the multiple dynamics that go into any sort of development, in this case, language and literacy development, and incorporating what is otherwise seen as um, contrary uh, perspectives, and that is uh, cognitive perspectives and sociocultural perspectives. And I'll leave that introduction there and, and turn my attention directly to discussing this notion of gaining or commanding a clear view. In the Philosophical Investigations, Wittgenstein indicates that one of the most important methods, philosophical and thoughtful methods and roles of philosophy, is to train the thinker to be comprehensive and to actually look at our concepts in practice. Look at gaining a clear view of how our knowledge, how our language, how our, our forms of life work. Don't try to explain how they work. Don't try to um, uh, think about concepts in the abstract. Rather, focus upon gaining a command of phenomenon by looking for connections and laying out the state of affairs in front of one. And in fact, I think that's where Wittgenstein's later philosophy and his er earlier philosophy shows a consistent um, area of focus. In, that in the early philosophy, it's, it was about trying to focus upon propositions expressing states of affairs. And that the world is the case, and what is important is about gaining a clear understanding of the world. Whereas in the later f investigations, there's a focus upon gaining a clear view of how our language works in practice, um, how knowledge arises, um, how, how uh, our views um, develop in collaboration with others. And this is to contrast, perhaps, um, uh, another picture of philosophy, and that is the armchair philosopher who introspectively talks about the notion of freedom, the notion of freedom, the concept of freedom in the abstract, rather than gaining a command or a clear view of how people view that concept and how it plays a role within people's lives and why it plays a role in the lives of some cultures but not necessarily in other cultures. You know, what are the, uh, uh, the contextual circumstances that, that give rise to our beliefs, our values, our attitudes, rather than looking for something that might be absolute. Now in our day and age, I think this notion of commanding a clear view um, and seeing our world as connected can actually be challenging, can be actually difficult to achieve. Um, and I think this is a concept that's more relevant now than perhaps when Wittgenstein was writing. We live in an information-saturated world uh, and a world focused upon productivity. 
uh, in an urban environment, it's not uncommon for people to always say, oh, I'm busy, I'm busy, and I'm uh, constantly busy. Uh, I don't have time to read or I don't have time to, 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 um, to hear myself think. And so that's where Wittgenstein is saying that, you know, that that's actually showing how much work it is to be a philosopher, how, how, much, how much work it is to be thoughtful and mindful, um, that uh, meditation or meditating upon uh, life is in fact um, more difficult at times than continuously being productive. Because to be gain a, and command a clear view, it requires a high amount of concentration, a high amount of visualization and imagining. And it requires one to be comprehensive and to consider um, both cases that are familiar to one, but also to think of alternative cases. You know, think of, well, what if this is, uh, what if uh, I look at language this way? What if I look at this scenario from this perspective? What if I look at this ethical dilemma from um, the point of view of this individual. It can be quite taxing to see and, and, and reflect upon the deep connections. So I think, in fact, I see in Wittgenstein's um, concept of commanding clear view a, a quite aspirational um, uh, piece of advice. That is, it's something that even Wittgenstein uh, struggled to attain. It's something that he aspired to, that he c continued to try to reach a sense of peace where he felt like, ah, oh, I've gained a command and an understanding of this phenomenon. And then stopped the sentence there. Because there's the tendency after that sentence to go, oh, but what, what about this? What about this? What about this? Or um, uh, for the mind to, to move towards another dilemma. And that's where I think Wittgenstein talks about how one of the most powerful features of philosophy is knowing that at any stage one can stop philosophizing. Because there will always be a new pinnacle to reach or uh, a new understanding uh, to gain. And so this is why these moments of gaining clear view are not um, ultimate they are moments in which clarity is gained that allow us to proceed, knowing that we'll have to engage or meditate on, on our knowledge once again soon, not later down the track, but on a regular basis. If I quote um, Stanley Cavell, he talks about how we should take seriously Wittgenstein's interest in bringing philosophical anxiety to peace by learning how to bring philosophical investigations to an end and it is important to recognize that this end is not one final apocalyptic end. It is rather that each inve investigation comes to an end somewhere, each in its time, place by place. And that coincides with another quote from Wittgenstein, in this case from Culture and Value, where Wittgenstein states that each morning you have to break through the dead rubble afresh so as to reach the living warm seed. And if I combine both of those observations, it reflects that philosophy is a daily activity. And if I replace the word philosophy, I'll use the word meditation. That every day 
is an act of meditating upon what is significant, what is the case. Let me not get swept aside by the busyness of life. Let me continually try to look at and gain a clear view of my values and my relationship with others, of the meaning of my concepts, of the significance of those concepts, and how I live collaboratively in the community. Because Wittgenstein implicitly and perhaps pessimistically knows the risk of the opposite, which is I start losing control because I get swept away by the stream of living that I don't see that there is a form of life or I don't try to look at what is the form of life that gives shape um, to that stream, to that stream of information, to that stream of relationships, that stream of values. How do I take stock and see the structure in the world in which I inhabit? And that's where the, another quote from Culture and Value comes in, in which Wittgenstein writes that the only way for us to guard our assertions against distortions or avoid emptiness in our assertions is to have a clear view in our reflections of what the ideal is, namely an object of comparison, a yardstick, as it were. And so Wittgenstein never mentions the word mindfulness in his philosophy, nor the concept of meditation in his philosophy. Though I'd hope both would be consistent with what he's talking about here. That he wants, he doesn't want to replace his, uh, the thinking aspect from his readers. He wants his readers to think. So he wants his readers to take his advice and see philosophy as an activity. And part of that activity is to become mindful of the world in which they have it, the language in which they use, the values in which they um, hold, and where that might come from and what role it plays within a form of life. And he's also prompting or encouraging his audience to meditate upon those phenomenons, to consider cases, to actually exhibit some understanding or some value upon silence and to replace talking with imagination to enter into that silence and imagine and to run through and to simulate and to speculate and observe and to describe how our values and how the values of others and how our language and the languages that others speak and discourses that arise come to be and know what our ideal is because it may, in fact, be easier not to reflect on those things, to allow the world to take one and to sweep one through the day-to-day, -day, whereas it might be more difficult to actually change habit and to stop and try to look at what is the form of life that we exist in, what are we seeking to reach, even in a world in which others might not necessarily take that same amount of time. Now, I don't want to verge too far into uh, rhetoric that might be considered self-help, though I don't have any necessarily objections to that, but I don't see Wittgenstein's um, uh, philosophy as serving that purpose. Instead, I see the notion of gaining a clear view as something more synop synoptic than uh, what 
disciplines might seek to reach. So science, it's seeking to reach certain answers, but not necessarily a synoptic view. So you need both have thought patterns that look at your field, your community of practice, but also to look at that community of practice and uh, that community in which you live in and, the, and yourself in that from an outside perspective. And that is looking at a command, commanding a clearer view from both the internal and the external point of view. Now I'll end with two other points. Now first, since the peace that's resolved when ga gaining a clear view is only temporary, we should see the role of action as occurring iteratively with meditation. In this case, once we gain a clear view, everything is still left as is. We have changed nothing about the world outside. We've just changed how we come to see the world. And the only way that that clear view can be empowering is if we act upon that clarity. That we don't rest and say, oh, I've reached a clear view. That's all I need to in understanding my concepts. We need to turn that into having an action upon our lives, how, how we interpret, how we live in, how we um, adopt practices, how we relate to others. So gaining that clear view allows us to act, but in and of itself, it enacts no change. And so we both need to have theory and, pr and action, and in this case, what we call praxis. And that leads me quite naturally to the next point, and quite, uh, I guess, tongue-in-cheek, is that I should, I should stop speaking at this moment. And that, because one aspect of the Tractatus applies here. Now, once you've achieved that clear view, the notion of silence, the notion of respecting that notion of, of clarity, to be silent, to be mindful, and to act until the next time your thoughts and your ideas run yourself into knots and you need to take that time to untangle those knots. And so to sum up, that the notion of gaining a clear view epitomizes Wittgenstein's perspective that philosophy is not a body of knowledge but an activity. That philosophy is a, gives us a range of techniques to unravel the complications in our thoughts, in our ideas, and in, in our concepts, to see the contradictions, um, uh, to see uh, when our ideas might um, be without context or without grounding. So to follow my advice from a few seconds ago, I'll leave the podcast there. Advising or not even advising, again, that's not my role here. But looking at how one of the practical roles of philosophy is gaining the tools and learning from others the vast range of language games or techniques to be able to gain a clear view over uh, whether it is our knowledge, whether it is our relationship, whether it is our language. Uh, 
thank you uh, for listening. Um, appreciate everyone's feedback. Until next time, uh, uh, I'll sign off. Thank you. <laughs>